Last week we began uh, our, our holiday season series. And, and as you know, if you've been a part of the Antioch family for quite some time, we don't do series very well. Uh, <laughs> you stop it, Brittany. <laughs> Brittany's been with us for nine years and she knows I can't ever finish a series. So, so at, least, at least twice a year, the fasting series in January and the holiday series in uh, December, we know that we've got some very clear bookends on those things. And the rest of the year is mine to figure out what I'm going to do with it and uh, to go wherever we want. But last week, we started a series called A Heritage of Compassion. Don't you know that the church at Antioch, when Jerusalem was going through famine, it was the church at Antioch that stepped up under the leadership of Paul and the apostolic council there. And uh, in Acts chapter 11, they came to the church of Jerusalem's aid and financially they helped the church of Jerusalem. There's a lot of history there, a lot of implications, but that was a big deal. There was something very significant that was taking place in the spirit when the church at Antioch says, we're gonna help our Jewish brothers in Jerusalem. And it is fitting in this time of year for us to put our eyes upon the compassionate God like we did last week. And it's fitting for us as we're going to do today to understand that everything that we see in the Father becomes our model, our picture, our pattern, our principle of what we wanna see in our own lives. And so today we're gonna talk about what it means to be compassionate sons and to be compassionate fathers. In order to do this, I brought in a friend to help me. In June, uh, my spiritual father in the Lord, Dennis Peacock, on a whim, invited me up to Calgary, Canada. Just two weeks before the trip, he called me and he said, Jade, uh, I've been invited to speak up at this conference and uh, I was wondering if, if you wanted to come up with me. We'd have some time, we're just father and son, we can spend some time together and I just feel like there might be something that the Lord has for us and something that the Lord has for you. Well, Apostle Ken Gill, who uh, belongs to the International Coalition of Apostles in Canada, uh, I'll, I'll introduce him here in a minute, but he was convening a gathering called Band of Fathers, taken after the series title Band of Brothers. He named this gathering Band of Fathers. And the heart behind this very simply was Apostle Ken through his network of relationships and apostolic fathers, both in this nation and around the world. He invited about four different apostolic fathers to come to this gathering. And he said, this is the agenda. The agenda very simply is family talk with fathers and sons. So what I want you to do as fathers is I want you to share whatever is on your heart that you wanna pass on as legacy to the next generation. And I'm gonna, I'm, I've just invited all the sons that I know in my network of churches in Canada to come and be a part of this gathering to sit at the feet of fathers, to ask questions, and also to hear whatever it is that's in your heart as a spiritual father to pass on to the next generation. It was in these three days that uh, my heart was enjoined to this man and that he, his heart graciously opened up towards me and, uh, and he treated me like one of his own. In September, I had the great privilege of being a part of a conference in Dallas where uh, I was able to help lead in some capacity and Apostle Ken was at that gathering as well and we got to know each other a little bit better there. Uh, his heart beats for the kingdom. He is one of the most relational and authentic men that I've come to know thus far in my journey. And uh, even last night, as, uh, as I got to spend some time with him, uh, we could have, we closed the restaurant out and this man's stamina and his heart to connect relationally. We could have been there even to the late hours of the morning. I said, listen, you need to go and sleep. We got a bunch of people willing to listen to you tomorrow, but he, his heart is just to pour in to people of the next generation. He understands the spirit and the message of sonship and the spirit and message of fathering as it relates to the kingdom. Uh, unlike 
many people I've heard. And so uh, as it just worked out as the Lord orchestrated his schedule where he could be with us in the house this morning. So what I'm gonna do is I'm actually gonna have him come up and I know that he's new to the house. So I'm gonna just interview him for a little bit. Do we have another microphone up here, Dan, that we could grab? We're gonna interview him. And, uh, oh, he has, great, we'll just use, all right, very good. And uh, I thought it'd be good for uh, you to get to know him on a little bit of a personal level. So I'm gonna throw some questions out his way. And then we're gonna go a little bit beyond 12 so that we has ample time to share and minister the word this morning. And uh, again, for all of our leaders, if you didn't receive the invite via email this week, uh, you're invited to join us in Mod Q tonight at six for a special leaders time with Apostle Ken. Would you help me and stand to your feet in welcoming my friend to join Antioch Church this morning? Apostle Ken, if you would, come on up. So last night, I discovered that you'll be celebrating 40 years of marriage. Right. 40 years. In, yes. in February? No. And I think uh, David celebrates on the 26th oh, of April. Uh, yeah. Or the 20. Uh, is that right? Yeah, David no, David's, David's birthday is, what's that, the 10th? No. The 12th? His anniversary. His anniversary. 26th of April, mine's okay. the 27th. Yours is the 27th, 27th of April. April. 40 years. 40 years. So one thing, yeah. one thing for all of us young and old married people here, tell us something that uh, if you could pass on one thing to a married couple to help them in their marriage relationship, sure. what would you say? Choose your love and love your choice. Wow. <laughs> Choose your love and love your choice. When we, uh, any reflection on the negative characteristics of the spouse that we have chosen, we maybe uh, can condition ourselves to think that they're not up to par or up to snuff. But when you enter into covenant, you abandon the right to quit. So if we have a covenant-keeping God and a covenant-making God, he's never abandoned a covenant or not kept covenant. Wow. But the people of God were always covenant-breaking. So we live in an age of covenant-breaking where God is saying to the church, church, enter into covenant with the wife of your youth and keep her to your heart, cherish her, love her. Amen. And uh, though our culture is riddled with brokenness, it doesn't change the fact that God has an ideal for culture Amen. and it's monogamous relationships. Amen. That's his design. So uh, when uh, I chose my wife, Cheryl, she's a beautiful person and I recognize that I was making a decision to love her all the days of my life. So I've just tried to keep covenant and perform vow. You know, Ecclesiastes said, it's better not to vow a vow than to vow and not pay. It's, it's, right, it's right there, you know. So, and then Solomon goes on to write, says, don't let your mouth cause your flesh to sin. In other words, people say, well, you know, I made a mistake. Well, we don't have permission to, to go there, wow. especially as people who are in relationship with God. Wow. Because the word of God governs our life when it comes to relationships. Absolutely. And uh, I, I realized I was a singles pastor for 16 years. I understand brokenness the whole enchilada of singleness. Uh, but still there is a principle in God's word. 
he still hates divorce. And the reason why he hates divorce is because it damages a godly offspring. You read it in the scripture, Malachi 2. And it's, you know, my heart breaks because I'm a legacy leaver. I want to leave a legacy to the family of God, to my own family, a legacy of faith, generational righteousness. And, uh, but I had a model, my father. My father loved my mother for 43 years till she passed away. Then he remarried for 13 years. So I have a legacy of example through the modeling that not a lot of people have. So I'm responsible for what I've had. And uh, I believe that through our leadership, we're helping people draw lines in the sand Mm -hmm. and begin a new heritage for themselves. A heritage that aligns with the book. So speaking of godly offspring, you have four kids? Yep. How many boys, how many girls? We have a daughter, Angela, 35. She's married to our son-in-law, Tim. They have four children. Three boys, one girl, the son Adam, 34, single. <laughs> we'll, have to br- we'll have to bring him out. <laughs> Musician, <laughs> handsome. <laughs> Music teacher. We have a daughter, Amy, married with three children. Wow. Her husband's name is Dallas. And then we have a 30-year-old single daughter. So I'd throw that out there. I love it. I love it. I love it. We'll have to do a family trip next time you come out. That's so and good. And they, uh, they all live within 15 minutes of us in the city of Calgary. That's awesome. Yeah. Now, one of the things that was awakened inside of me when I was with you in Calgary is the spirit of sonship. Tell me how the spirit of sonship has influenced and affected who you are as a husband and as a father. Wow. <clears throat> well, the journey to understand biblical sonship started in 1973. And I was, the scripture just opened up to me. And I I realized that I was called to be a disciple maker. I realized that there's no biblical mandate to make converts, but there is a biblical mandate to make disciples. So I realized that if that was a biblical mandate, then I needed to be a disciple making person. I would become a disciple-making leader and I would become a disciple-making pastor and I would lead a disciple-making church. So I said to the father, just, okay, what are the principles I'm supposed to begin this on? And the first principle he brought into my spirit was the principle of sonship. When he did that, I didn't understand what he said. Mm. I said, okay, so I wrote sonship down said, what's next? And he wrote down the word servanthood. And I said, what's next? And he wrote, the word came to me, soldiery, soldiery. I'd never heard the word before. I didn't know it. I didn't know what it meant. So really, I understood servanthood, but I didn't understand the two. So I had to go in to begin to study the scripture and discover that I was going to raise up disciples after Christ, not after myself, that they needed to become sons servants, and soldiers to advance the kingdom of God. The thing of it is, is the order in which he placed them for me, which was a paradigm shift because the North American church is addicted to servanthood. 
It's addicted to servanthood. What do, you, what do you mean by that? We're addicted to servanthood. Well, we place servanthood at the zenith of everything we do. And the beautiful thing about serving is, is beautiful. But if my serving does not come out of my sonship, then I'll no doubt be serving in the wrong places at the wrong time and effectively having the wrong result. And so servants are addicted to uh, competition. They're addicted to all kinds of stuff. Promotion in the house of God. I can outserve you. But if sonship comes first and my servanthood flows out of my sonship, then I'm going to be just like Jesus. So, so the father said to me, remember that before he ever served, he was my son. And all of his service came out of his sonship. So when he washed the feet, he did it as a servant, but what he saw the father do, he was doing. So he was replicating the very heart of the father. He was replicating and reproducing on the planet with his followers, which by the way, were his sons. Because not only was he the son of God, he was the everlasting father. That's right. Yes. So what did he do with those four men? Or 12 men. He fathered them for three years. Wow. Because you cannot separate his name and his nature from what he was doing. Wow. So he said, come and follow me. Who? A spiritual father. Wow. So as a son, he followed his father. And as a son, he fathered those men. That's where the grace, the patience, the perseverance, the love, the unconditioned love all came from to lead those men in the way they were to go. So, when the Lord said that to me, I thought, whoa. Things got to get in the right order. And I'm not trying to be precise or tacky, but I'm just trying to be orderly. And so when I realized that 90% of servanthood in the body of Christ does not come out of the spirit of sonship, most of it comes out of the orphan spirit. An orphan is independent, nine times out of ten, not submitted to anything. You can never be delivered from the orphan spirit. The orphan spirit can only be displaced by the spirit of sonship. Jesus said, when I come to you, I'll not leave you as orphans. I will come to you as a son and a father. I'll free you from that independent spirit, of course, on which America is built. One of the reasons why America can't get the sonship. Because of your constitution. Spirit of independence in your country. If we're going to get there, we're talking about your first word. It's awakening. It's the only way we can ever equip sons is we have to be awakened that we are to be sons. But when you've got your, what do you call it here? Charter of Independence, what do you call it? The Our Constitution. Our Declaration of the Declaration. You have a declaration over you. Hmm. We're independent Americans. Wow. So you bring that into the kingdom of God, you got a conflict. Because the moment you come into the kingdom, we come in as sons, we lay down every right and every prince, every every right and every privilege, wow. and we become a son of the kingdom. Wow. And the modus operandi is a spirit of submission. So I just started building discipleship schools and mission schools and Bible schools and day schools and 
raising up sons throughout my life. So first thing you have to realize is you have to be a son. So for 16 years, I spent serving other men by the will of God. And in doing that, I learned the ways of sonship. I learned how to come underneath spiritual fathers who didn't know their spiritual fathers. So what does a spiritual son do when his leader is not a spiritual father? That's a difficult uh, place to be in. But what a spiritual son can do is literally uh, son the father right out of that man through the spirit of submission. Wow. And we can begin to literally draw out of the heart of that spiritual father and literally help him to become a son by modeling sonship in its purity. That's incredible. That's so good. And in every one of my relationships... And I'd go in like this, and we'd have our, our weekly staff meeting. We'd sit down, and of course, you go through the calendar and go through all of this, and it was all, it was all function. It was all task. No relationship. Uh, Kim, will you look after youth and Christmas caroling and uh, Tent Crusade? And, you know, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, I know, sir, too, yeah, as well. I was raised to respect. And so write them all down. We go through the calendar. Uh, you're preaching this week. Uh, I'm on next week. Uh, you lead worship. You do that. Uh, well, you lead prayer time. So we go through all that stuff like you do in a meeting, right? right. Get everything out. And uh, at the end of the meeting, well, that's good. Uh, let's go. And I'd be sitting there as a young man saying, uh, is there anything that you see in my life that's impeding my progress as a minister? Mm. And he'd say, uh, uh, not that I can think of. I'd say, okay, well, thank you very much. Said, uh, so this would, go over, this would go on for years, right? Wow. And I'd, so I'd say um, to them, okay, pastor, we'd go through the same thing every week, right? And I'd say, well, uh, is there anything you see in my worship leading that you can correct me? Is there, how, how is my preaching? I, I wasn't fishing for compliment. I was fishing for affirmation. Because a son to thrive must be affirmed must be encouraged. But most senior leaders, correct. Most fathers, correct. Do not affirm. Wow. So if affirmation would lead us down through the front door, we can always get the correction. Wow. But you build, you see, see um, correction without relationship leads to rebellion. So that's why we got so much rebellion in the ministry. Because leaders like yourself are not fathers. You're the paid professional. Right. And you do what I want you to do when I want you to do that. I can't find that here. And I've led a church of thousands of people. And I'm not, I'm not talking off the top of my head. I'm talking from the loins of my spirit. That, But you know what? Many sons, because they're so orphaned, they don't know how to be fathered. Right. Right. So we are in a major learning curve. The 21st century church is a major learning curve of the shift of the government in the house of God. Say, so how is he doing that? Well, the government is going to end up being shaped by fathers and sons. That's where, we're, that's where this is going. But unless the true spirit of sonship is in the heart of the overseeing leader, and the true spirit of sonship is in the heart of the people, there will be a collision, and it will not work. So... For yourself, as uh, I don't know how old you are, but let me guess. I won't guess. 
<laughs> I, I, you must be still in your 30s somewhere, right? And so if you're still there, the thing of it is, is when I was 29, I was just spending time praying and seeking God, saying, God, what do you want in my life? And he says, oh, I want to set you apart as a spiritual father in the land. And I said to him, okay, but what's a spiritual father? So for 30 years now, he's been working on me to understand the principles, practices, lifestyle of what it means to be a spiritual father. And uh, so in my journey, that, that affects my relationship with my wife, that affects my relationship with everybody. So I don't treat my staff. I stopped hiring staff 14 and a half years ago. Hire no more. Because I can't put the word hire and inheritance in the same word, in the same sentence. Wow. The word heir is the same four letters as the word hire. Hmm. Just change the middle letters. And most of our churches are built on hirelings. Wow. If you hire me, you can fire me. Wow. And that's got to go. Wow. That's got to be evacuated from the kingdom. Oh, it's got to be removed. That's so good. We start raising up sons, and just by natural, they'll start flowing mm. into music, worship, leadership. Mm. Gifts will begin to emerge. Yeah. They'll come and be your assistant, your associate, part of your, whatever you want to call yourself. Because God is raising up apostolic families. He's raising us up to become those things. And so there you've heard it prophesied. I'm sure even amongst your people that there's a shift. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, the shift is very practical. The shift is away from an independent spirit to a spirit that submits itself first to God mm. and then to those that are in authority over us. That's fantastic. You know, I, so I feel if I have any blessing. If I've enjoyed, this is 40th year of ministry, if I enjoyed any blessing, it's because I'm a submitted son. Wow. So everywhere I go, people call me Apostle Ken. I don't call myself that. I was at a prayer time about four years ago. And the prayer leader said to all of us as, as leaders, I believe there, we need to start laying down titles. And so... I'm making a long story short. So I knelt down and I said, Lord, I lay down every title that I've been named. Pastor, laid it down. Reverend, laid that baby down. I only use it to sign marriage documents. <laughs> so it resurrects every now and again, legally. Laid that down. Prophetic, laid that down. Laid out, apostle, evangelist, all laid down that. Man of God, laid it all down. And I picked up one title. And it's called son. Then I laid down the sonship title and I picked up another word and it's called seed. So that's who I am. I'm a seed. And incubated within the life of that seed is everything. Everything. Reproduction. Wow. An explosion of life. A germ. Except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. Amen. So I live in a season of 
titles and hierarchy and all that. I respect it and I honor it. But you know what? You know what I, if, if you don't mind me being this bold, I can't find in the scripture where any apostle was, he was not called ever Apostle Paul in the scripture. Because apostle is not a title, it's a function. So I'm Ken, and I function as an apostle. And I'm not trying to be cute, right. really. But it's, it's really function follows. It doesn't go. So because we call you Dr. Bill, you know, you're Bill, and you're a doctor, and I respect you. But we feel we need to put a title in front of people so they're austere and... And I'm not trying to diminish anything. Right. Captain, Colonel, General. I understand all that. But you know what? Underneath all of our titles is a person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Jesus came as a seed. That's so good. And I want to go into my future as a seed that manifests himself as a son that lives his life as a spiritual father, nurturing as many young adults as I can till I die. Amen. Amen. That's awesome. This is just a teaser for tonight. I've got questions about community, kingdom. You, you mentioned uh, how the major shift is moving away from religious institutional church and moving into relational theology. I want to get into that tonight. I want to get into a culture of honor. You referenced that last. There's a lot. There's a lot we want to pull out of you tonight. So, uh, so this is just a little teaser. Our friend uh, Ken Gill. Uh, I'm going to turn it over to you and let you go, guys. Let's let's if we could let's go to about 12:20 today. All right, let's go to 12:20, and uh, and and please take your liberty and uh, deposit here in this house what the Lord's put on your heart for us. Thanks so much. You open yourself wide to questions when you don't know what's coming, right? Is this, uh, can you hear me out there? Because I can't hear me at all here. So I just have to trust you on that. Well, you're in a season um, on the heritage of compassion. What, uh, what What a wonderful theme to work through in this month. Absolutely wonderful. Let me, uh, tell you a story about myself. 1973 was a pinnacle year. That was uh, 40 years ago this year. And uh, it was like a year of revelation for my life. It's like I, I don't know what else to say. It's like I was one person. And when I said yes to God, it's like my life went shifted. And it was in that year that I recognized that I was called to be an apostolic leader. But you couldn't say anything about it because if you dare mention that, you'd be put in a box somewhere. And, uh, or a prophet, you'd be filed away somewhere in the back closet. And so some of us understand what it's cost to see the prophetic apostolic movement come to this time. But I have good news for you. We've only just begun. We've had about 15 years of training. And now God is tooling out the true prophetic voice and the true apostolic leadership. He's doing that so we can raise up what we know as a new Model E, a brand new evangelistic presence in the house of God. As you get these three uh, tips of the arrowhead in place, pastors are going to look different and the teacher is going to look different because we have a pastoral model that is old and a teaching model that is old. And as soon as God gets the arrowhead 
on the arrow that will lead the church into its future. Then we'll begin to see people shepherded in a different way and the teaching element of everything in God's house shifted by the power of God. I was uh, taking a course back in the 70s on the Gospels. And we're reading through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and I was a student, and uh, I was just reading the scripture, and I, I saw something. So I asked for an appointment with my Gospels teacher. And I said, sure, Ken. So when he sat down, I said, hey, sir, I, I found this thing that every time that signs and wonders and miracles happen in, in and through the life of Jesus, that before they ever happened, they flowed out of him being moved by compassion. That every time he moved with compassion, signs, wonders, and miracles followed. And I thought, wow, there's something here. And I believe that as the people of God, as we recognize that the disposition of God himself is he is, he is the compassionate one. He is the one who is a personification of all of what compassion is. Compassion to me is this, the disposition of the love of God in action. It has been that definition that has led my life for many years. So at some point in our journey with Father God, we take on his disposition. When we take on his disposition, we begin to replicate the very nature of God the Father through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and then we see it lived out through the apostolic leaders in the New Testament scriptures. That compassion is one of the earmarks of the New Testament church. And I'm never shy if anybody wants to shout or say amen or uh, anything like that. It doesn't bother me, okay? Uh, you're, you're free to do that. I can handle pretty near anything. And if you got a hanky, you want to do that. Or one church that I go to, they have about 20 signs. And all the young adult community have it. Great point. And they hold it up. <laughs> Praise God. And they hold it up. Uh, and uh, so if I happen to see any signs, remember I had talked about signs and wonders and miracles. <clears throat> we, we begin to uh, have a look at that. I don't know about you, but one thing that troubles me about Compassion is usually relegated to the female. And I, I want to stand in the place of saying, men, we are called by God to be men of compassion. Men who carry the disposition of the love of God and we put it into action. Amen. It's not, and bless you ladies, I love you. My wife, my wife is 40 years, a registered nurse. If she doesn't have compassion coming out of her, she has nothing coming out of her. You know, and you care for the broken, and you care for the bleeding, and you care for all the things that she's uh, cleaned up, messes, and I just say, my God, you are, you got more than I got. She's got something in her, in her disposition that lends itself to literally function as a New Testament believer. Why, why is it that so many uh, Christians lean towards nursing? They lean towards caregiving. They lean towards teaching. They lean towards the dissemination of truth, the loving of children. Why is it? It's because we're reflecting a nature. We're reflecting the nature and the character of God. And my subject this morning here is not to go through and give you a whole message on compassion, but I want to speak to you out of a chapter in the book of 1 Thessalonians, 
uh, chapter, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, beginning to read at verse number 1. Now, I'm not sure if you were able to get any, uh, were you able to get any keynote things up there, David? Were you? Maybe uh, you could go to the first slide. The first slide should talk about apostolic fathering. Whenever it comes up, and we'll go to that. You got, will you let me know when it comes? That'll be great. When uh, I recognized where you were going and how you were being led as a church, especially in the last year, and by the way, I followed uh, your predecessor for many years, uh, Pastor Dutch, uh, who uh, has written many books and spoke at many conferences that I've had the privilege of being a part of. And uh, I, I bless your name change. Uh, I love your change. Freedom uh, Church was good. Antioch, the place where they were first called believers. It's something. You know, that, you know that word Christian wasn't nice. How many understand? You know that was, that was a dissing. You little Christ. It was like this. You little Christ. Like, get out of here, you little Christ, because literally we are manifesting Christ. That's what they're doing. You little Christ, get out of here. That's where we get our name from. So that's what I stopped calling myself a Christian about 14 years ago. Why? Because I can't handle all the Christians fighting all over the world. So I call myself a Jesus follower. Which is a Christian. You understand what I'm saying? But the Christians are against this group. They're against that group. They're against this group. And Christians fighting against this group. And so I thought, my goodness, this term Christian has become a way too generic and a way too large. We need to narrow cast it. A real Christian is a Jesus follower. And everybody shouted, yes, that's true. So we're going we're gonna to have to get back up a couple slides, please, if you wouldn't mind. Great. Um, one of the things that we need to uh, see emphasized in the Word of God is the need for fathering. We are living now, right now, in a broken culture. If there ever was a time for the raising up of spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers, there could not be any more relevant message to culture than this message. I believe that we will recognize that God is doing many things. And so, when I, I launched a number of years ago, back in 1981, I began to uh, develop leadership training schools. I called them LTI, a Leadership Training Institute. And in doing that, I spent my, the next 22 years developing leaders every week. So I would spend from uh, second week into September to the end of June every year, 39 solid weeks, pouring my life into people so that they could become everything that God wanted them to become. You see, most people who lead churches have a, an ability to preach, but many times they don't have any other ability. And so what God wants us to be is not just preachers, but he wants us to be leaders. And the fivefold ministry gifts that represent Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 11, our first mandate is to equip to equip leaders for the work of the ministry. In my nation, when I travel across my nation, I'd probably say that well over 90% of our spiritual leaders are equipping no one. Because we fool ourselves into thinking that that Sunday morning is a place for discipleship. 
when it's not. It's a place for encouragement and exhortation and stimulation and being built up in the things of God. But that doesn't let the body of Christ off the hitch of time being set aside on your part to be equipped and discipled in the ways of Christ. Do you know what? I raised up these leadership training schools in cities of millions of people. 96% attendance over a 22-year period because people would not believe that I would invest my life in them. Some have said that people that go to seminaries very rarely ever utilize more than 5% of everything they've learned in getting all their education. For me, it's everything I learn, I want to give it away. I want to pass it on. I want someone to get it. I want somebody to grow or be nurtured or to be built up. And so that's why I say, well, just ask any question you want and I'll do the best I can to answer because uh, the Bible says study to answer. Is that not true? That I'm to be an answer for every man for the reason of the hope that lies within me. Is that not true? So we're to help people. That, that's why I love young adults. Most leaders are afraid of young adults. I just say, bring them on. Bring them on. Ask all your questions. It makes no difference. Will this, if I don't know the answer, I'll call Pastor Jay. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm saying? But the principles and precepts of the Word of God in training leaders to become New Testament leaders. So believe it or not, I started with 40 men. I would not let the women in. Because most of our churches are male sick. Culture is male sick. And so the women got angry with me. Very angry with me. How come you're ministering to the men and not to the women? I said, will you trust me? Will you just leave it with me? I must get the leadership of homes intact. Must pour into men. And so for nine months I began to pour my life into 40 men. How did the 40 men come in? I would walk up to them while you're having your celebration here. What's your name, son? Seth. Seth? Yeah. That's a great name. Come on up here. So Seth would be coming that way. You just go down there and walk up to me. I turn around. He's walking away. Hey, Seth, how you doing today, man? Doing well. how you doing? Hey, man, I'm going to be getting a leadership uh, training uh, time. I wonder if I could uh, have some time to invest in you. And he said, what do you mean? Well, I said, I've got this nine-month uh, time of pouring into the men of the church and wondered, would you be interested in, uh, in some investment in your life? Yeah. And your answer was? Sure. Okay. So I said, well, we got, we've got a training night, and if you come to the uh, uh, informational night, you come to that, and we'll be okay. And so um, they would show up at the information night, and then I'd tell them what it's all about, and what was all going to go on. Thank you very much. And so I just do that through the body for all through the summer months. And then I'll say, I'll meet you the 1st of September and we'll talk. And you know what? 40 men like that couldn't believe that someone would take three hours on a Wednesday night. You see, because spiritual fathers operate by this principle. Low expectations, high investment. Spiritual leaders are incredibly disappointed week in, week out because of the expectations we place on the people. 
And they disappoint us week after week after week because we're working with a volunteer movement. You are not obligated to do anything. It's only a free will offering of your life that allows people to set up this stuff and rearrange this every week. I've been doing it for the last eight years. We set up and take down. I bless all of you. I bless all of you. We set up our worship, set up our sound. We're not in our own building. We, we do it every week. And so I applaud all of you and I bless you. And uh, yeah, and we set the piano up and the drums up. And we set everything up, the pulpit up, the flowers up, the signs up. We set everything up. And guess what we have to do? Yeah! You should hear when we first started because I heard the grumbling of the servant spirit. Now I don't hear any more grumbling because they've all become sons. The grumble goes. I'm, I'm not kidding. I am absolutely not kidding. Some of the, some of the young guys that were pouring our life in, they tell somebody else in our body, say, well, you know, um, I'm a son now. I don't need to serve anymore. <laughs> so there's many things to learn uh, from this process. I said, oh, yeah. I said, you're dealing with the wrong dad here. Uh, you know, let's, let's get to work and let's do what God wants us to do. So I was trying to help people in their journey and help men. And then, of course, I did that for two years, the end of the second year. I mean, it, it, got, it got very severe. I had one man come up to me and he said, uh, Pastor, I can't stay uh, uh, in training any longer. I said, why not? He said, well, my wife told me that it's either you, it's either I have to choose you or her. So now we're dealing with the Jezebel spirit in the home, which is in many of our homes, which is a spirit of control, which is a witchcraft spirit. And you cannot satisfy that spirit. It's like a great big hole. It's a big black hole that the spirit of control can never be satisfied. It's only, it's only the spirit of humility that can help to disarm the spirit of control. And so I said, sir, I don't want you to lose your marriage for, my, for me. You'll be released in Jesus' name. But after 22 years, would you like to ask me the number one byproduct of 22 years of training leaders? Would you like to know? Yes. Healed marriages. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, Jay, yeah, I went, oh my God. He, see, God, all, all God's trying to do is get my yes. As soon as he's got my yes, he can do anything he wants with me. Train leaders, or the train leaders. Yeah, I'm going to do this, Ken. While, while you don't know what I'm doing, I'm going to be healing families. That was a serendipitous overflow of investment. So if you want to know who I am today, I'm a major investor. In people. I've spent my life building people. Larger people, bigger people, big faith people. Encouraging people, loving people, honoring people. Just realizing that your capacity in God, most of us have not begun to scratch the surface of everything that he wants to awaken in our lives by the power of the Spirit. So after all these years of pouring in, you know, the third year invited the women. I went from literally 42 to 84. and never went before below 84 for 20 years. Every week, 96% attendance because five-fold ministers, prophets, apostles, pastors, teachers, evangelists, we are all equippers. 
Every fivefold minister has four things that they do. One, proclaim. Two, equip. Three, disciple. Four, father. That's it. And if we can do that, I, I believe that the house of God will be literally reformatted and revolutionized by the power of biblical truth being lived out in apostolic function. So for myself, the New Testament needs to be broken down into hyper-simplicity so that we can get a hold of it and live it out in our lives, our marriage, our workplace. It's good for the marketplace. The workplace is good for school. It's good for anywhere because it is so absolutely practical. Amen? So then I began to just pour my life into men and women. Began to pour, just pour, just pour. You know what? 14 books they read in nine months. Three retreats. I did. We raised the bar. And guess what? When you raise the bar, they came to a new level. Send them away to spend their first time in fasting and prayer and waiting on God. They'd never done that before. Hearing the voice of God. Helping them become prophetic as well as apostolic. Helping God to cultivate the heart of an evangelist on the, on the inside of every child of God. And realize that everybody in this room, if you're looking for a ministry, you've already been given one. It's called the ministry of reconciliation. That is part and parcel of everyone's salvation in this room. And if you are not told that when you gave your life to Christ, I apologize. Because part and parcel of our relationship as a son in the kingdom is to replicate ourselves through the ministry of reconciliation. We have people that go around our America teaching that you don't have to have the gift of evangelism. I can't even find the gift of evangelism in the word of God. It's beyond the gift of evangelism. It's the ministry of reconciliation that's been given to you and you didn't ask for it. We didn't ask for it. It's part and parcel of my salvation. If I'm going to receive the spirit of reconciliation into my heart, then the same spirit that is in me must begin to move and operate through me. And I begin to reconcile people of, of all tongues and tribes and nations all, all over the world. Anyways, uh, to get to where I'm supposed to go. God is wanting us. You see, I'll talk more about this in some of our small group settings tonight and tomorrow, but we've got a society that's almost addicted to coaching. Everybody likes the word coaching. I'm a life coach. I'm this coach. And I go, that's about one-third of the way that we need to go to get to where we need to go when we're inside the kingdom. It's one thing to be a coach. It's another thing to be a mentor. But it's another thing to be a father. And you can't use the words interchangeably. They are different words. And God doesn't call us to the place of coaching or mentoring. He calls us to the place of the, the language. In New Testament language, is the language of the family. He's called us to be fathers and mothers to a generation of people. And there's people in the kingdom that that is our calling to become that. Nothing more, nothing less. And you don't have to be old to be a spiritual father. You can be really young 
as we allow the Holy Spirit to work uh, sonship in our hearts and we become what God wants us to become as the people of God. So let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. I want to talk about the compassionate son and the compassionate father and the relationship between them. Uh, you see this slide on spiritual father? Could we go back to this just for a moment? Thank you very much. I chose this image as a picture because this would be the point of advantage that a father would have. And this is where he's taking the hand of a spiritual son. And he's bringing that spiritual son to where he's going. He's got his hand on the future because he wants that son to come along and be with him. And then he wants to release him at some point into his future so that that spiritual father can come in behind that son and help that son to become everything that that son is supposed to become in God. So in Thessalonians, it says this, verse number two. We can probably go to the scriptures. I don't know how it's uh, looking behind you. But I want to, uh, I use this portion of scripture for leadership training for a couple of decades. And the assignment that I would give to everybody when we would walk through this was this. I want you to go through the first 13 verses of this chapter. And I want you to highlight for me. Now notice what I'm going to say. I want you to highlight for me the characteristics of ministry. In 13 verses. So after two decades of having people do that, I would take a photocopy of this portion of scripture and I'd put it on a big sheet, eight and a half by 11 in a good size font. I would give it out to them. They'd take it home and we'd review it. I had one young man that came up with 127 different characteristics of ministry in 13 verses. But dozens of people found over 100 that literally represent the character of ministry. Now the New Testament leadership manual is 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 to the end of the chapter is literally been given by Holy Spirit as a manual for training New Testament ministers. It begins by saying, now then we have this ministry. And it begins to literally unpack and unfold what New Testament ministry is about called the character of ministry. So, if there is a character to ministry, there is a deeper character to the minister. So when we sign up for something called ministry, we need to recognize that New Testament ministry has a characteristic. And it's multifaceted. So as a New Testament minister, what do I do? Well, I take the plumb line of God's word, I lay it down, and I say, okay, if that's the characteristic of ministry, then I line myself up behind that and I begin to walk in plumb line to the character that is found in the word of God when it pertains to ministry. In that context, I'm going to give to you what Paul writes here. Let's read it together. You know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure. Well, first of all, one of the characteristics of ministry it is apostolic on its faith. You can see here that they recognize people as brothers. That's family language. That our visit to you. So what they would do is they would visit the followers and nurture them and help them the best they possibly can. And it goes on and on and on. You can peel out a lot of things that are there. 
We had previously suffered and been insulted in Philippi. So what goes with ministry? Well, suffering is a part of ministry. Insult is a part of ministry. And as you know, with the help of our God, we dared to tell you this gospel in spite of strong opposition. So we recognize that if the gospel is going to flourish, it's always going to flourish in the face of strong opposition. How many would consider that there is great opposition against the gospel in the United States of America today? And anybody agree to that? So what are we going to do about it? Are we going to fold up? Are we going to close down? Are we going to duck? Are we going to put our wings down? Are we going to stop walking? Are we going to stop talking? What's, what's our choice going to be? To have restored to America and Canada what we've lost is going to cost somebody their life. We have moved too far to bring it back to center. But for an awakening of the Almighty God, it's going to cost someone something. I think of the statesman group that your pastor is a part of and uh, Dennis has invited myself to participate in. I think if we continue on this journey that some of us may end up laying down our lives for the cause of a new spiritual freedom in America. You cannot just have the restoration of apostles and prophets and not have the restoration of what happened to them be repeated again in our lifetime. So if we want the titles, we want these things to happen, we want the restoration of prophetic ministry, well, most prophets worth their salt end up being stoned. I didn't get a good amen on that. We think that prophecy is just about, you know, prophesying a word to one another, and that's wonderful. But a goat, it means we start living prophetic lives. We start engaging culture prophetically. Right? So it, it's not just about getting a prophecy or a word of knowledge or a word of, or word of wisdom, which is all beautiful. I love it. When you have a message in tongues, interpretation, and I, oh, I love all that. Mm, that's good. But to live a prophetic life. And it's easy to prophesy amongst believers. It's another thing to get out in the jungle and live prophetically. I mean, even to live evangelistically. Let alone seek to live apostolically. Which seeks to bring about the reordering of the house of God. The reformatting of the house of God. Literally. The, the, re, uh, the reprogramming of the house of God to function under a New Testament authority as, it, as, as we believe that it is written and it is declared. Now here we got some other things. As you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you this gospel in spite of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. You know, so many times we've seen so much uh, impurity amongst spiritual leaderships. I'm, I'm so sorry. I, I pray that you have forgiven many of us who have fallen, who have made mistakes, who have messed up, and literally uh, people have fall, fallen off the bandwagon. I trust that you've, you've moved into forgiveness on those things, and, and we, we've forgiven those that have done these things. Would, 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 we, would we agree? If we don't live there, we can't go forward. Because 
if Pastor Jay, every week that he's up here, if you see him and view him through the eyes of suspicion, he can't lead. He can't lead you. Well, what is God trying to do? He's trying to restore trust to the house of God. You can tell me you love me all you want. And I'll receive it. The day you tell me you trust me, that's when things begin to happen in the house of God. Go back to the marriage question today. For my wife and I, what is it? It's just about we've chosen to trust one another. And so I'm here today in my wife's trust. She releases me and trusts me and I try to be faithful for these 40 years to hold my heart only to her, which I have done. That's not a boast. It's my reality. But it's about trust. It's about the engagement of trust in the house of God. It's about members of the body of Christ coming to a place of trusting one another. Loving one another, beautiful. But when we move to that, cross that line into a place literally of trusting one another, you say, hey, Ken, that's high risk. I realize it. Because people will let you down. Leaders will let you down. I didn't say worship. I said trust. It's one thing to worship. It's another thing to trust. And so uh, when we come to that, uh, we got uh, some very uh, good things that are, uh, that are happening. Let's go on because I'll never get done. Verse number four, on the contrary. We speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please men, but God who tests our heart. Is that not true? You know, we never use flattery. Wow. Wonder how much flattery spiritual leaders have used to get people to do the things they want them to do. An old man of God told me years ago about flattery. He said, Ken... Flattery only affects you if you inhale. But I, I can't be involved in flattering somebody, not trying, to, because I've, I've, I'm a man with impure motives. Nothing commands the instant attention of a wonder-working God like pure motive. Is that not true? And every one of us here can have pure motive. But it's the work of the Spirit of God to come in to purify, to purify and to, to work on the inside of our life. And then it says here, we never put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. Well, how, men, how, how many men and women of God literally have put on a mask to cover up a greedy heart? It's, it's an amazing thing. I was, I'm looking for something here in my Bible. I was down in Costa Rica in the uh, month of March this past year, and I was, uh, uh, one of our sons in our ministry said, hey, uh, Ken, will you come with me to uh, Costa Rica, and uh, can we do a father and son conference, spiritual father, spiritual son? I said, yes. He says, well, don't you need to pray about it? I said, no. He said, why? I said, well, because you're a son, and I'm going with you, and if you uh, believe that you're to go there, it's now my time for me to follow you. Did you catch that? 
In other words, what I'm saying is sons hear from God as well as fathers hear from God. And when a father is wise, he'll ask his sons and daughters, male and female, what they're hearing. And if sons and daughters are wise, they'll ask their spiritual fathers and mothers, what are you hearing? And he, he looked at me, he said, you, you kind of took me by surprise. Well, first of all, I'm called to the world. So I, I don't pray about going. I'm already committed to go. I just pray about when and where and with whom. Because he's already told me, go into all the world and preach the gospel. So yes, I'm coming. What a time we had. He did all the sonship messages. I did all the fathering messages, but I could see. I could see that the leadership there had been taken advantage of somewhere in the things that had happened. I could see that. And uh, so right while I was preaching, I realized that there was a mistrust in the audience. This is after we've been there for three days. So I said, would you give me a five-minute break? Put everybody on hold for five minutes. I went and got an eight and a half by 11 uh, piece of paper. And I took it and I... I bent it about, I think it's in my briefcase, I was just looking for it. I just took a piece of paper, bent it in half, and I cut two V's for eye holes. And then I said, come on back, went back and I said, now the true characteristic of apostolic fathers is we never put on a mask to cover up a greedy heart. And what I did not know is how many times they have been exploited by those of, those of us that call ourselves by the same titles. The scripture says we're to know those that labor amongst us. Is that not true? And I'm only here this morning because your pastor Jade has invited us to come. Then I met David. And when I met the both of them, I said, can I come and hang up with you guys sometimes? Because I just love these guys. You know, I don't know if you know what you have. When I'm traveling the planet, I've been doing it for a long time. But Jade, when I met you, I haven't met Christy yet. I've met your little girl. I haven't met your boy. And congratulations on twins. You've got some work cut out for you, baby. How old is your oldest? Six. Well, my wife and I had four children in five years. So you have, you have a little different way, two at once. And when I, when I met this man, I thought, my wife said to me, where's that guy come from? I said, I don't know. And then all my leadership said, Ken, can, can we have Jade back here? Well, what? Your overseer is carrying something. He's carrying. They're the presence of the anointed Christ. There is a wisdom that's in your leader that's beyond his years. Do you understand that? You value that? Then go get your friends and neighbors and say, come and hear what a wise man and woman of God has to say. Then I met David. He's fully intoxicated with God. <laughs> then I met Ben. So I'm just meeting you one by one. Then I met uh, Joy is a flag flown high from the castle of my heart. Was his name David Castle? Doug Castle. Where are you, Doug? There you are right there. And you, there, there is a texture in this ministry that is positioning you for favor.
And I wanted to be here, not to preach. I wanted to meet you. Honest. I don't have an agenda. I told the man, tell me what to preach and I'll preach it. I don't have an agenda. I'm a father to spiritual sons, to nurture, to help. To help bring them into their destinies and into their future. It's my greatest joy. It's the greatest delight. Let me digress personally for a moment. Would you give me uh, some grace to digress? I received a phone call. I was in our, our capital city, Ottawa, this past week. I'm a part of a, uh, a group of pastors that get together one, sometimes twice a year with, with the government. And we come there to pray and encourage to uphold uh, our politicians. And after the meetings were over, I stopped by my sister's house. My sister gave me a card. said, Ken, uh, this guy met me this morning. He said, I want you to call him. So I said, sure. So I gave him a call and he said, hi, his name is Ken. My name's Ken. How's that? <clears throat> and he said, uh, Ken. I said, yeah. He said, I, I need to tell you something. He said, 11 years ago, you came to our church and you preached the message. And he said, right while you were preaching, you left where you were like I do quite frequently. And he said, you come down to where I am. And you said to me, you are a very big man, sir. Very big man. Locked up on the inside of you is a release of compassion that you know nothing about. And if you will say yes to God, he's going to heal your heart, awaken compassion within you, and set your feet on a new path. Well, when I travel, I may share something with people like I forget, right? So he reminded me, he said, while you were saying it, I was so angry with you. Because I just come through three church, three churches, and I was misused in every church, and I was broken, and I wanted nothing more. And now you're telling me that I got this huge bundle of compassion that's locked up on the inside of me, and God just wanted to get it out, and I didn't want to hear you. So, anyways, he said, I'm here to tell you that 11 years later, I'm leading an inner city ministry. Because fathers come to call out the gold that are in the hearts of sons and daughters, to bring out the silver, to bring out the grace of God, the beauty that's in people's lives. Like you don't have any idea what Father wants to do through you. There is a grace on your life and I bless you today. Come forward into your future in Jesus' name. Always, he's always bringing us forward. He's always, and as fathers, what are we doing? We are just here to carry the father heart of God, to minister to the people of God, to let compassion be released to us all the time so we create an atmosphere for sons to be raised up with the same spirit of compassion. Because they're not just gonna hear about it, they're going to see it. Let me translate this into a young adult community. My wife and I, at this point in our life, 
we have had 98 young adults live in our home. Why? Why? Because faith must be caught. We always try to teach, but it must be caught. I had one young man come into our home. I said, I said to my wife, I was praying about this guy. He said, he said told me, Ken, I'm going to heal this man's mind of mental illness. I've carried this word for mental illness, believing God to heal mental illness. I, I carry this everywhere I go, believing for God to heal the schizophrenic, to heal those that are troubled with bipolar disease and any other intellectual or mental disorders, believing God, the God who does the impossible to do it again. Amen? Can somebody say, why not? Can you say, why not me? Yeah. It's the way he wants to move and the way he wants to operate is through us as the people of God. And as, as, as I spoke to this man, Ken, on the phone the other day, he said, I feel you needed to know. Why did I need to know? I just needed to know to tell you this morning. This is not about me. It's about spiritual father being used to activate something in behind, hidden in the heart of a broken man. They couldn't see it but needed a dad in the spirit to say, this is what I see and call it forth. And number two, he says, I hate kids. So I smiled at him. And so he came, comes to our home and guess who met him first? Yeah, my dog. And he wanted to push the dog away, but the dog is a Christian dog. <laughs> when my dog gets in our small groups, he lays down on his back, puts all four up in the air. He understands what it means to go prostrate in the presence of God. Do you know my dog? My dog wouldn't leave him alone. And that dog became a therapy. That brought him, he hated kids. My daughter, my youngest daughter, Ashley, just thought this young man was the best thing since sliced bread. And I'd see him sitting there reading storybooks. Storybooks, because the things that he needed to heal his heart, it was broken in family. And when I found out what his dad did to his dog, and when I found out what his mean uh, father did to him as a son, I realized why he was bringing a son into a family so that we could just be family and do nothing, preach nothing, really say nothing, just me love my wife. Just discipline children after the order of God. Just have people into our home, share people food at our table. Like, it's called being Jesus followers. It's really not complicated. The last person we brought into our home was a couple years ago. He lost his marriage. He was one of our guitar players. He can make an electric guitar talk. And here he is living in a basement. His wife and him are separated. They're going through divorce. And I'm praying, and the Lord said, bring him into your home. I want you to restore his dignity. So I brought a 35-year-old man into our home. 
lived with us for two years and we helped them get out of debt. Didn't charge them a cent. You see, I'm not boasting. I'm talking about if you're living out a heritage of compassion, this is how it works. My home's not my own. My vehicle's not my own. Nothing I have, nothing I have is mine, ours. We're stewards. Is that not true? We're stewards of everything we own. All of our food is provided by God. I'm, I'm not saying be unwise in what I'm saying, but be wise, be together. I only do it with my wife's full blessing. And we meet with everybody that's in our home every 30 days to do a checkup from the neck up to see how we're doing. Because people come into our home, they haven't lived the way we live, right? If you're going to be in our home, it needs to be neat and orderly if you're going to live in a house with me. You understand what I'm saying? So if they're in disorder, it will only take me a few weeks to help them out. <laughs> Why? Because I'm a dad. I'm trying to help that young man become a good husband. I hope you husbands and your wives don't pick up after you. Our wives are not our mortgages. We don't own them. The greatest thing I can do for my children is love my wife. And the greatest thing my wife can do for our children is to love her husband. That's number one. Is that not true? The kids try to sass back my wife. I just look at them and say, we don't want to even talk about this going another step. What do you mean, Dad? I said, she's my wife before she's your mother. And when you're gone, she's still my wife. And you respect her because she's my wife before she's your mother. Do you understand how fathers establish a standard and a boundary in the house of God and in our home? You don't disrespect. You don't, dis you don't come to that level of disrespect. We father out of respect. Is that not true? Is this helping anybody this morning? Because I didn't plan on going here. So we're here now. So I may as well hang here for a minute or two. That's the way it works. You say, I'm feeling, uh, I'm feeling condemned this morning. No, no, no. No condemnation. I'm not carrying condemnation in my spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to convict. There's a difference between conviction and condemnation. Conviction is a wonderful, warm work of the Holy Spirit that brings a man and a woman of God into alignment with the Word of God. And I don't know about you, but when conviction comes my way, I go, yeah. Ah, oh, conviction, I love you. Anybody here love conviction? Becomes one of our best friends. Becomes something that we embrace and we go, I'm, I get scared when conviction's not coming my way every now and then. Because I want the wonderful Holy Spirit to work a work in my life, to come across some of my thought patterns and my mindset that need to be shifted by God. Okay. I gotta keep going on. Okay, let's go, let's go on. Let's go on. I want to get to one scripture here at least. Uh, let me see if I can get to the next. Okay, let's go to this, and we'll uh, try to end off here. Uh, will you give me a couple minutes? Okay, 
Let's go to the next one. As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you. Here it comes now. The characteristics of a spiritual father. But we were gentle among you. As a mother caring for her children. That's the characteristic of an apostolic father. My dad raised five of us to love God. And he showed us how to love our children. We have seven grandchildren right now. They just flock to me as poppy. Because they know that there is a predisposition in my nature to love creation. Old people, young people, it doesn't matter. That disposition has got to be there. It says, but we were gentle among you like a mother caring for her children. And do you, do you know what the picture is? Would you like to know what the picture is here? The picture is, as an apostolic father, he was manifesting the nature of El Shaddai. And El Shaddai, as one of the names of God, is this. Mighty breasted one. So to think that men do not nurture is a misnomer. To think that only women nurture is, is a misnomer. We as made in the image and likeness of God, we nurture. And it says here, we were gentle. The earmark of apostolic fathering is gentleness. Gentleness is a velvet-covered brick. It's the best definition that I can find. Nine years, nine years ago, my wife and I came to a place in our life where everything we had and led was gone in a day. And the Lord said, I'm leading you into a very dark time. The weapons that you've used in ministry up until then are not going to take you into the future. I'm going I'm to give you a, a whole series of brand new weapons that's going to take you into your future. Seriously. And the Lord said to me, he said, son, things that we call virtues in the kingdom are weapons to me. And I went, oh my God. And I said, well, Lord, what's the first weapon you want to train me in? He said, I want to train you in gentleness. See, he's going to give his weapons for a broken culture. Because the fabric of our society is breaking. And the texture of every man in here, we must become genteel, strong, yet outwardly nurturing, caring, loving, kind. Our words must be soft and gentle. He's rewiring us to relate to culture. He's showing us here that the very things that were in him that this is how Jesus operated. He not only operated as a spiritual father with the boys, he operated like a mother amongst them. Suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not. We heard it read this morning. That was said by a man. Suffer 
the little children to come to me. Forbid them not. Don't keep the little children away from me. Church should attract children like nothing else. Because of compassion, because of love, because of the characteristics. I'm so sorry for all the misuse of children in some of our religious circles. It breaks my heart when we violated that thing called trust that I've been talking to you about this morning. And I'm very sorry for that, but we got to start again. Is that not true? So, this is what it says. But we were gentle among you like a mother caring for her little children. So... This way, function apostolically as an apostolic father, and there's gentleness coming from our lives, and compassion's not too far away. Amen? Okay, and then let me just go to this next scripture here. I'm skipping, I'm skipping, I'm skipping. I've got to get to one more scripture, and then we're done. Can he say, I'll believe it when I see it? <laughs> okay, let's go down to verse number 10. This is the other characteristic of apostolic ministry. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy and righteous and blameless we were among you who believed. Look at all that's in there. You're witnesses. And here it says, For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. Now it gives to us the boundary. We conduct ourselves like a mother with a gentle grace on our lives, we conduct ourselves like a father. You put the two of them together and we release El Shaddai, the culture. So the fathering part of me is, what do I do? Can you go on to the next part, son, please? On the screen, thank you. For you know how we dealt with these, as the father deals with his children. Next part. Now we see this is, a, this is a crux. Number one, what does the spiritual father do? We encourage what else do we do? We, we comfort, and the word urging is used there in the King James Version. It says it's the word charging. We charge uh, uh, sons and daughters to live their lives worthy of God who calls you to his kingdom and to his glory. I submit this to you this morning in the fear of God. Recognizing that God is raising up apostolic fathers and mothers Prophetic mothers and fathers, he's raising us up to a broken culture, a broken generation. And he wants to take the lonely and put them in families so that he can heal them. And he wants to bring us into apostolic atmospheres. And in an apostolic atmosphere, there is grace, there is love, but there's also bordered by exhortation, by comfort, and by charging. So what you've got is a full blend as you move in your... Uh, the heritage of compassion for your future. And as you raise up spiritual sons and daughters and fathers, when the fathers conduct themselves like this, our sons won't be long becoming just like us. And isn't that the way it is about? Let's pray. Jesus, write upon these words this morning. Take your scripture. I have not done good justice to them this morning, Father. But you take what was need needed to be heard and we will build from there. Bless your people today. I pray these things in Jesus' name. If you agree with that, can you say amen?